Hello, Rebels. You're listening to a free audio-only recording of my show, Rebel Roundup. Now, if you like listening to this podcast, then you would love watching it. But in order to watch, you need to be a subscriber to premium content. That's what we call our long-format TV-style shows here on The Rebel. Subscribers get access to watching my weekly show, as well as all the other great TV-style shows, too. It's only $8 a month to subscribe, or you can subscribe annually and get two months free. And just for podcast listeners, you can save an extra 10% on a new premium membership by using the coupon code PODCAST when you subscribe. Just go to premium.rebelnews.com to become a member. And please leave a five-star review on this podcast and subscribe in iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts. Those reviews are a great way to support the Rebel without ever having to spend a dime. And now, enjoy this free audio-only version of my show. Welcome to Rebel Roundup, ladies and gentlemen, and the rest of you, in which we look back at some of the very best commentaries of the week by your favorite Rebels. I'm your host, David Menzies. This just in, folks, apparently it's against the law to publish a critical book about a prime minister during an election campaign. Oh, and apparently it is also against the law not to register such a book with the government. (laughs) Just wait until you hear about the shakedown Ezra Levent is getting at the hands of those censorious thugs who comprise Elections Canada. Say, do you know there are more than 50,000 bogus refugee claimants in Canada that are supposed to be deported already, but for some reason they're still here? Yep, another fiasco on the immigration front. Sheila Gunn-Reed will try to make sense of it all. And finally, letters, we get your letters, we get them every second of every day, and I'll share some of your responses regarding my visit to a protest and counter-protest outside the U.S. consulate in Toronto last Saturday, in which a grieving man who lost his sister on flight 752 was actually mocked and shouted down by a bunch of communists, socialists, Antifa punks, and public sector trade unionists. No, folks, it doesn't get any lower than that. Those are your Rebels. Now let's round them up. Oh, I know that. And I'm just asking you to confirm that that not a single other loving book of Trudeau is being investigated. But once we're done, if you believe that there should be complaints that are... No, because I'm not a censor like you. I'm not a bully and a censor. I'm not a bureaucrat looking to justify my budget like you. I go out and earn my living every day, fella. You call in authors to grill them about a book criticizing your boss. Think about who you are. We call the director of Rebel News Network Limited. Yeah, who happens to be the author of the book. I think there's gonna be a chapter about you two fellas in the next edition. Do you have any more questions there? 
certainly do. I wrote a book called The Libranos, What the Media Won't Tell You About Justin Trudeau's Corruption. During the election, it hit number two on the Amazon bestseller list with rave reviews. Justin Trudeau did not like that. So over Christmas, I received this letter from the government by registered mail, accusing me of breaking the law and demanding that I meet with investigators. And if I didn't, I'd get in deeper trouble. You can read that letter for yourself at saverebelnews.com. So last week, I went to Ottawa to be interrogated at the high security headquarters of Elections Canada. I was curious, were they really serious? Were they really gonna investigate me and prosecute me and fine me, maybe even jail me for writing a book that criticized their boss during an election? Yes. Well, this just in folks, apparently and inexplicably, it is against the law to publish a critical book about a prime minister during an election campaign. Oh, and apparently, it is also against the law to not register such a book with the government. Oh, by the way, we're not talking North Korea or Venezuela here. No, we're talking Canada and the censorious thugs who comprise Elections Canada. And with more on this story is our rebel commander himself, Ezra Levent. Ezra, that interrogation you received by two bureaucrats who are ex-RCMP officers that used to specialize in terrorism. Uh, it is one of the most incredible videos I've ever seen. Uh, judging by the view count, uh, our audience would, would agree with that. Uh, take us down this, this path. What is the nub of this story? Are they just, so, and when I say they, I mean their ministerial masters, ultimately Justin Trudeau. Are they just so upset that you have found a way within the rules to promote a book with election-style signs that they find offensive. Look, um, the best time to publish a book about an election is before the election. It mm. doesn't make a lot of sense to publish a book after the election. <laughs> and um, I learned in this interrogation that there were 24 books on Trudeau yeah. published at the same time as mine. Now, I only knew of a few of them. Aaron Wary, a leftist at the CBC, John Iveson, a liberal at the National uh, Post. And I asked these interrogators, I said, well, if publishing a book in an election is wrong, have you gone after these two guys? Mm. Or is it just because my book was critical? Well, that's when I learned that they were, they had, I'm not going to use the word spied, but they had compiled a list of 24 books, but they acknowledged they were only going after me, even though all of the books were the time the same. Um, there is an exemption in the law for books and the promotion of books, obviously. And we promoted our book our way. The other 23 books promoted their books their way. I've seen books promoted on TV, on billboards, on bus, like stop uh, bus ads, um, on radio. Like there's so many different ways to advertise. We advertised about five different ways. One was, I thought, sort of cheeky. It was, it looked like an election lawn sign, but it said, buy the book. Right. And um, it was promoting the book. But even, I mean, what's the purpose of the book? Well, I, I criticize Justin Trudeau. I think he's corrupt. That's actually the name of the book, The mm -hmm. Libranos. Yeah. Um, what the media isn't telling you about Justin Trudeau's corruption. Right. I think that Justin Trudeau's corrupt, and that's not just an insult. I try and make the case in the book. I talk about SNC-Lavalin, for example, mm -hmm. which, I mean, that's not even controversial anymore. He was convicted of yes. four counts of conflict of interest, so um, for various offenses. Um, 
for taking the free Bahamas trip. So it's not, it's not even a radical book. Yeah. What is radical is the idea that police can tell a journalist, an author, broadcaster, he can't criticize the prime minister in an election. There was two things that, that really stuck with me in the one-hour interrogation. One was them asking me um, why I didn't register my book with the government. <laughs> now, I, I mean, I'm 47, yeah. and, uh, and so I, I still remember life before the Soviet Union fell. I was, like, uh, so I remember things before 1989, because I was a teenager, and I was very interested in, in f the Soviet Union when I was even a teenager. Yeah. And I learned, I knew this, that in the Soviet bloc, I don't know if you know this, um, and I'm getting old, so I forgot it was either Romania or Bulgaria, if you owned a typewriter, you had to register your typewriter with the police. Come on. And I don't know if you know this about <laughs> typewriters in the pre-computer age. Each typewriter is slightly different how the keys hit. It's almost like a fingerprint. Yeah, absolutely. So you had to give a sample of the typing to the police, and they kept it. So if ever some illegal publication were to be found somewhere, they could match the type uh, writer fingerprint of that propaganda to their government registry of typewriters. That is a true story. You had to, a typewriter was considered so dangerous, <laughs> you had to register it with police as if it was a gun. That's and in Canada in 2020, to have two senior veterans of the RCMP who worked on terrorism files, these are senior yeah. cops, in a closed room at a high security location in Ottawa, tell me that I had to register my book with the government like I'm some Soviet dissident in Romania in the 80s. If we're that far gone, I'm not radical, they're radical. And if that's the law, we have to smash this law. And when I mean smash the law, I mean deliberately break and then appeal and have the law struck down. And as I said to these cops, they need to be told by a judge that what they're doing is wrong. But you know, Ezra, for us here at The Rebel, and by extension our audience, this is very much uh, deja vu all over. Just last year, we had our own beloved Sheila Gunn-Reed go through the same nonsense, this, but on a provincial basis in Alberta with her Notley book. Uh, that case ultimately ended up going nowhere. What I'm getting at here, though, Ezra, is that is this a matter of the process is the penalty? We are going to incur perhaps tens of thousands of uh, dollars in legal fees fighting this. So even if the government has a no-hoper case, they have an endless trough of taxpayer dollars to fight us just to make life miserable and uh, economically disadvantageous for us. Yeah, you know, it's funny you say that because just yesterday uh, or a couple days ago, it was released um, <clears throat> you know when we fought the Debates Commission, Trudeau's hand-picked committee of who gets to have the debates run in the election. Yes. So they banned you and yeah. Kian Bexty. <laughs> yeah. So we went to federal court. We spent $18,000 um, on that emergency application. I know that sounds like an enormous amount of money. It is. Yeah. I mean, our lawyers were working all weekend and then all Monday, and then they sort of collapsed. Eighteen grand, a lot of money, but they were two lawyers, and they had an assistant, and they worked. I didn't, I paid crazy your legal bills and that. I was pretty pleased. I mm -hmm. thought it was fairly modest. Mm -hmm. and, and we won. Yeah. So we had two lawyers and they cost us 18 grand.
it was revealed two days ago that the government, for the same fight, two, three days work, paid $131,000 for five lawyers. Now, I don't even know how they could bill that much. How can you spend, what's that, seven times as much money? How can they spend seven times more than us? Well, the short answer is because it's not their money. Because it's just taxpayers' can. money. Yeah. They're just throwing buckets of money. It's like throw another bale of $100 bills on the bonfire. So $18,000 for us is a lot of money. That's, um, that's a salary for someone for, for almost half a year. That's, you, know, you could buy a lot for $18,000 in a yeah. little company like ours. So it was, now thank God our, our viewers helped us. Yes. $131,000 for the government, it's, who cares? There's a billion more where that came from. So I think you're right. I think they're trying to wear us down and the time. Like I, I flew to Ottawa, I went to this meeting and I flew back. Even though the meeting itself was an hour, I had to get there a little bit in advance and yeah. then I had to leave time for the airport. So I spent at least six hours plus the flight to Ottawa on this thing in the middle of the day. I, I had to pre-record my show the day before. So I, like that, that is a hassle. So it's the hassle, it's the cost, now, I was thinking about it. I was thinking, what were they trying to accomplish in there? Um, I think they were trying to trap me to get me to, to say things that would uh, be used against me, myself. I think, I think a normal person would have been intimidated. Mm -hmm. And I'm not saying that I'm particularly brave. I've just seen it before. So it's, it's like if you see a haunted house with the lights on. You're not as scared anymore because, okay, so over there there's a jack-in-the-box and over there, the, it, it's, like, it's like if you watch a movie to the end, you know how it's gonna end. So, yeah. But if, if I hadn't been through these kind of interrogations before, I probably would have been scared because yeah. they let me through, oh, high security, buzz in, sign in, ID, like, so they pretended it was like some bunker. It was in a small windowless room. There was the two of them. They were stone-faced. You know, they were, so oh, this is in your, so I think that, like, I, I'm just so numb to that yeah. theater. It, it, maybe I should, in fact, I was sort of cracking some jokes. I said, oh, do you need permission to ask your mom? And I, I made some jokes. Um, so I, maybe they were trying to make me scared. I wasn't. I, in fact, my number one thing going on in my mind, David, was don't swear. Don't swear, because I, sometimes I swear, David, and, you, <laughs> and I don't like it when I swear I get yeah. mad, and I think, oh, oh. and I just thought, Ezra, don't swear, don't swear, don't, 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 because I was so mad at the idea that two cops are asking me about a book. I mean, how can you sit, like, it, it, you either laugh or you cry or you swear. I didn't swear and I didn't cry. I laughed a little bit, but the most important thing I did was I recorded it yeah. because I know that no one would have believed me what happened if I just said, well, I went, I was summoned by the government to, to be grilled for an hour about my book. People would say, oh, yeah, or you don't mean that, or you're exaggerating. Oh, sure, Ezra. Well, the video doesn't lie. No, and uh, it, again, more deja vu. It reminded me of the uh, famous uh, Alberta Human Rights Tribunal mm. uh, case involving you, which you also video recorded, which was remarkable. Ezra, it might be too early in the game because, of course, this video just uh, debuted on Wednesday night. But um, where are the book publishers of Canada? Yeah. Where are the periodicals, the newspapers? Uh, I mean, this idea of a book registration uh, process, uh, surely they have some skin in the game. Are we going to see any solidarity <laughs> or is it, uh, oh, it's the rebel, <laughs> let them fry? Well, my phone hasn't stopped not ringing all day. <laughs> uh, I've received two phone calls 
all day today, and they're both from my wife just asking me, you know, about errands, and you're going to pick up some ground beef and stuff like that. So <laughs> I, uh, I've received a single invitation to go on a talk show, Carlene Nation in Mississauga. She's great. I'm going to go on the show. Um, and actually, it looks like Glenn Beck in the United States is interesting. Fantastic. Okay. But, um, and I'm not looking for the attention. I'm not looking also to provide free content to my competitors. Yeah. I'm very busy here at Rebel News. But you would think that this would, story would be of interest to journalists, publishers, civil libertarians, people worried about the surveillance state, people worried about uh, overweening power of government, people worried about freedom, people worried about a democratic discourse. Like there's a lot of uh, professors, academics, um, poets, uh, critics of the government on the left. Yeah. I'm a critic of the government on the right, but if any critic can be hauled into the uh, interrogation, Surely anyone who is adverse to Trudeau should be worried. I have, uh, and I'm not looking for personal praise. I, I don't need it. Um, and I actually don't think I need the help from these groups. Thank God, Rebel viewers, like I said, we raised 18 grand to fight Trudeau last time. I'm sure we'll raise it again this time. Thanks God, uh, our viewers are amazing. But the Canadian Civil Liberties Association was actually founded to stop this sort yeah. of thing. Canadian Journalists for Free Expression was actually founded to stop this. Canadian Association of Journalists, Pen Canada, Amnesty International, Reporters Without Borders. Yeah. What's that? Five groups right yeah. there. Not a peep. And again, I mean, it'd be nice to have allies. Uh, I'm not looking for a personal friend, like I'm not looking for a buddy or a drinking partner or anything. I, it would just be nice to, to know that there was someone else in Canada who cared enough about free speech to fight. Now, let me say our friends, just John Carpe, the Justice Center for Constitutional Freedoms, I haven't talked to him about this, um, so I'm sure he would help if I asked him. I want to note that he cares about free speech, but I think I just went through the entire list of one civil liberties groups in Canada that actually cares about free speech. It's lonely. In a way, David, Rebel News has become a public interest law firm for freedom yeah. because we have so many cases in which we are the target yes. that we decide to fight back and also to protect journalists like you have been uh, I mean I'm, I'm upset about this because I when we hired you at Rebel we it was not my contemplation that you would be a human punching bag <laughs> but you have been attacked on at least three occasions that I can think about yeah. and by the way we're suing in all three as yep. you know it is not, uh, it, that's not my favorite thing to do. I would rather spend that money hiring staff. I would rather spend that money on anything else. But it's just wrong. You were attacked by Jonathan Yaniv with a cane. You were attacked by some manager at the Radisson Toronto East. Mm. You were attacked by police, believe it or mm. not, in, in York Region. Yep. Wrong, 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 and we're going to fight back. Normally a journalist is roughed up by police and civil liberties groups are squawking about it. Not for you and not for us. So we have to fill that void. So we're, we're news reporters and we're opinion commentators and sometimes we're activists, we're book publishers, but we're also a public interest law firm because we have to because no one else is. And that's our destiny and that's fine. No, you're, you're right. I mean, on the physical assault front, uh, Ezra, I mean, you have mainstream media types that make it a federal case of some drunken Lugan goes by on camera and does the vulgar blanker right in the you know where. Yeah. And that becomes a cause celeb. 
getting hit over the head with a steel cane, eh, not so much. Yeah. Um, Ezra, I, I guess, I mean, there's so many angles uh, to this. And, I, and by the way, I, I urge you folks, if you haven't seen this video, uh, I know the year is young, but it's to me, it's the best video of the year so far. You've got to check it out. A little crystal ball gazing for you, uh, Ezra, especially since the uh, Alberta jihad by that bureaucrat against Sheila went nowhere. Um, what do you think is going to happen, especially now that these two individuals have the glare of publicity uh, cast on them? Yeah, you're talking about the two interrogators. Yes. Um, there are at least five people uh, working on my file. Okay. I know this because I've had letters from them. Uh, I, I won't bore you with their names, but I, I can count at least five. Um, they wouldn't tell me if there's any more. So maybe there is more. Um, the two interrogators in the room, one of them in particular, Tim Mackin is his name, seemed very, very resolved, very certain that I had broken the law with yeah. this book. So if he is a judge of that organization, they're certain. Like this is not some lark. This is not some flight of fancy. They sure seem like they're going to prosecute. And um, as you correctly pointed out, when the Alberta election commissioner went after Sheila Gunn-Reed for her best-selling book, Stop Notley, the whole time I kept thinking, nah, this is just a crank. This is just some kooky guy. And in the end, he dropped it. Yeah. This doesn't feel like that. Mm. This doesn't feel like it's driven by some weirdo or some kook like, like in Alberta that the election commissioner there was really kooky. He had been <laughs> fired before. He had been, like, he was a subject of great scandal and controversy. So it was like he was some eccentric guy who was abusing power. Mm. This feels like a more an institutional war that's made deliberately and calmly. That's far more worrisome than some kook. Like in Alberta, it was like some, someone put a wild man in charge of a bureaucracy, and it flamed out. Yeah. This seems more deliberate. Even the nature of these two guys. 30-year RCMP veterans who had both worked on terrorism files. <laughs> like, why would you, first of all, that's pretty heavy duty. Like, those are, that's, that's a guy, 30 years on the job, that's a guy at the height of his investigative detective powers, right? Like, they're not, they're not putting the interns, I, I jokingly called one guy an intern because he couldn't answer any questions. I said, do you want to go talk to your mom or something? Yeah, right. <laughs> so, look, I mean, let me just leave, I mean, we were talking here quite a while, and I, I know you have to go, but one of the investigators, and his name was Tim Mackin, and it's almost like he invited me to unsay something I had said. Yes. I had said the obvious truth, which is I published my election book to coincide with the election. Duh. Like the other <laughs> I mean, hello. Uh, you know, it's, it's why you publish a Christmas book. <laughs> before Christmas. <laughs> in January, it's in the remainder bin, yeah. you know? It's like, you know, hey, I got a, it's February 15th, I got this Valentine's Day card. <laughs> no. So, he, in the interrogation, he sort of said, do you want to rephrase your earlier statement that you timed the book for the election? Like, he, he made it really clear to me that by saying the obvious, well, of course I published my election book during the election, because it's about elections, that that would convict me. And it's almost like he was in, inviting me to uh, amend my alibi, which, first of all, I'm not going to do. I'm not going to lie. 
Second of all, that would be stupid to pretend like, like it's it, that w it would be insane to publish a book about the election not during the election. The other 23 books didn't do that. So I'm not going to lie. He thinks that the truth is a crime or breaking the Elections Act. One of us is deeply, deeply wrong, David. Yeah. I think it's him. He thinks it's me. <laughs> um, I think we have to go to a court and get a judge to sort it out. And In fact, we have no choice, do we? Well, I mean, I suppose they could drop the case. Yeah. But if these guys prosecute me and I, I think what would happen is they would convict me internally and then I would appeal that to a real court. I just, I mean I have a lot of criticisms of Canada. I think we're going in the wrong direction in a bunch of ways. I think our judiciary is a problem. But even in Canada with all its problems, I have got to believe that there is no judge in this country that would say yes we should register books with the government the same way Romania registered typewriters with the government. I will trust any judge in Canada to smack down these weird censors and I say let's have that trial as soon as possible. Ezra, an amazing story, and uh, we're going to come through this 100%. And there you have it, folks. I mean, <laughs> welcome to Justin Trudeau's Canada in 2020. It's, it's funny, isn't it? A, someone like Omar Khadr, $10.5 million check, uh, speaking engagement next month at Dalhousie. And uh, Ezra Levant writes a book critical of uh, Justin Trudeau and Gerald Butts and the rest, and uh, that's deemed to be, oh, I don't know, an act of terrorism. Absolutely incredible, but we'll keep you posted with this story as it progresses. Keep it here. More of Rebel Roundup to come right after this. RCMP and border security officials intercepted 56,515 illegal immigrants in the past three years. These are mainly Haitians and Nigerians crossing at Canada's southern border. And according to a new report by Blacklock's reporter, an inquiry of ministry also revealed that most of them are still here. There are 52,109, quote, irregular migrant arrivals that remain in Canada, wrote staff of the Parliamentary Budget Office. Now, funding for the Immigration and Refugee Board has increased 56% since 2017, from $82.9 million in 2017 to $129.4 million this year. And the Black Locks report I'm citing today also quotes Michael McDonald, the Associate Deputy Immigration Minister as saying, the Immigration and Refugee Board was hiring quote, several hundred new employees to speed up the hearings. And yet the backlog remains nearly unabated. A total of 648 illegal immigrants were deported last year, according to that inquiry of ministry. Similar, quote, removals totaled 495 the previous year. So to be clear, that was an increase of nearly $50 million per year to the Immigration and Refugee Board to expedite these appeals, only to see an additional 150 people illegally in Canada finally deported from Canada. Well, there you have it, folks. Has any government spent so much money to deport so few illegals? And meanwhile, the backlog of phony baloney claimants stands at more than 50,000 people, which makes you wonder, will these irregulars actually get deported before they 
die of natural causes? <laughs> Don't bet on it. And with more on this disgraceful story is the host of The Gun Show, Sheila Gunn-Reed. Welcome to Rebel Roundup, my friend. Hey, David. Thanks for having me on the show. It is always a pleasure. But Sheila, your video really depressed me. I'm thinking, <laughs> why even bother having borders? Why even bother having IRB hearings? After all, when tens of thousands of illegal aliens, yes, that's right, I said it, illegal yep. aliens, sim simply come into the country, we may as well stop throwing money at this problem and I guess subscribe to that leftist claptrap of open borders and nobody is illegal. What do you have to say? Well, that's exactly it. I mean, we've got 52,000 people illegally in this country waiting. They're under deportation orders. So they've already gone pretty well as far through the system as you can. And they're awaiting deportation. We're deporting almost none of them. And they're entitled to another appeal and another appeal until appeals are exhausted. And then we finally deport them if we can find them. And that's another thing. People sometimes don't show up to their appeal. And then they have a baby in the country. And then the baby gets birthright citizenship. And then the baby sponsors their illegal parent into the country. So a lot of things can happen in that two-year-long wait between the time that these people are ordered deported and then they get to that final appeal before they are eventually shown the door. And as you rightly pointed out, the government said, okay, well, we've got this big backlog. The answer to the backlog of dealing with illegal migrants is not dealing with what's creating the illegal migrant situation, and that's a, a border that's a colander, but that we need more bureaucrats to deal with this so that they spent $50 million on more bureaucrats and they only expedited 150 more uh, immigration hearings. And that's that's the the net result. They deported 150 more people last year and they got, you know, $50 million in resources. Yeah, uh, and I think, Sheila, it all comes down to political will. You mentioned birthright yep. citizenship. Well, the UK got rid of that nonsense in the early 80s uh, under Margaret Thatcher. So we have to look at doing that too. And, um, but for the issue at hand, let's just dial it back to how these yep. people come into Canada in the first place. Now, we've seen through the infamous Roxon Road that they just stroll over the border. The RCMP or the Border Service Agency guards say, stop, uh, you're committing a crime. They don't care that they want to commit the crime and declare refugee status. rather. But when I look at the U.S.-Canada Safe Third Party Agreement, Sheila, it clearly states that refugee claimants are required to request refugee status in the first safe country. Now, that would be the U.S. if they're already coming from the U.S. Now, there's this little asterisk. There is exemptions, such as unaccompanied minors, um, people who might face the death penalty in a state that has it. So, um, you know, always great that we'll welcome <laughs> murderers into the country. But yeah. the thing is, Sheila, with these exemptions, there's no way there's more than 50,000 people that qualified for this asterisk. So what's going on here? Well, the, they're abusing this loophole, like you say, where they're supposed to make asylum in the first safe country that they land in. Now, about a year ago, 
the government pretending to be doing something about this said, okay, we will automatically rule out anybody who's made uh, an asylum claim in the United States, had the asylum claim there fail, and then run from a deportation order by crossing into Canada and then making an asylum claim here. Well, as it turns out, that's only caught about 400 people because the illegal migrants, most of them crossing at one border crossing at Roxham Road from mainly Haiti and Nigeria. So nowhere where there's an active war going on or, you know, religious persecution. Uh, well, let me correct that. Nigeria does have some religious persecution of Christians, but that's not what these folks are claiming. They're not bothering to make that uh first initial asylum claim in the United States that would preclude them from ever coming into Canada. They're using the United States as just a, a launching point to get into Canada because they're not even bothering to country shop. They're just trying to get to Canada because they know that our system will allow them at least two good years before we even get to finally dealing with people who are here illegally. So, I, I mean... There's a perception that the Liberals tried to do something, but really they made a teeny tiny two-week in legislation that really had no impact. It's a statistical rounding error, 400 people out of, you know, 52,000. Um, and really, if we had taken, this is the point I make in my video, if we had taken that $50 million per year that the IRB got in increased funding and just put up a fence at Roxham Road, where all the problems are happening, boy, we would actually see an impact in what's going on in the immigration system. Instead, we just leave Roxham Road wide open and then deal with the fallout after the fact and then wonder why we can't fix any of it. You know, and, and Sheila, as you mentioned, the vast majority of these claimants are coming from Haiti and they're coming from Nigeria. Uh, the U.S. is a Western democracy, perhaps the greatest democracy in the world. And yeah. there is no persecution of those people in the US and yet I see this narrative uh, being displayed that because of the Trump administration um, they're fearful for some kind of deportation or incarceration you name it and that kind of plays into the the leftist agenda especially here in Canada that um, you know well we better say give them a, a lifeline it, it, it's just more of the Trump derangement uh, syndrome on display but you raise a good point. I would have loved to have seen that 50 million go not to bureaucrats, but to bricks and build a fence or a wall. When you go to the people that you deal with on this file, Sheila, and say, why not that? Why not a wall? Why not a fence? What is the answer or what do you suppose their answer would be? Well, walls are pretty Trumpy, aren't they? <laughs> you know, Justin Trudeau has painted himself from the very beginning of Trump's presidency as the anti-Trump. When Trump was cracking down on illegal immigration and immigration from failed states where the U.S. government cannot verify anybody's immigration records, their identities, whatever, um, and terrorist hotbeds, when Trump said, okay, well, you know, we can't make sure you are who you say you are. We don't want you coming into the country until we can. Um, Justin Trudeau tweeted out, you know, everybody's welcome to Canada. And one tweet collapsed our immigration system. And Donald Trump has, is pro-wall. He's building some wall, not enough wall in, in uh, my estimation. Um, but he did campaign on a wall. So Justin Trudeau can't go around building walls because 
you know, that's pretty Trumpy. You know, they only like to have walls around Liberal Party events, but but not to protect Liberals. They don't like to have walls to protect Canadians. You know, it, it, it is astonishing. No, you make a great point, and I, I've got the bruises to show it when it comes yeah. to a liberal press conference, when it comes to um, cordoning off the undesirables and the deplorables, mm -hmm. like me. Um, yeah, you know, fencing and uh, thugs guarding the fences uh, work really well, don't they? But, you know, uh, Sheila, this... Um, uh, what what is the end solution for this? Because even if you buy into the fact, oh, we're Canadian, we're too polite to build a wall or a fence, these people have gone through the process, they've been determined as you do not qualify, and yet more than 50,000 of them are, are still in this country. As you said, a great percentage unaccounted for. We just don't know where they are. I mean, th this is absolute incompetence to the highest degree by the people that should be safeguarding our borders. So what's going to happen moving forward? Nothing. <laughs> Nothing's going to happen. It's just going to keep getting worse. I mean, the Liberals are not going to change this. They're counting on demographic changes in Toronto um, to make sure that Toronto always stays Liberal. Um, they're not going to address this issue. They have done nothing really tangible in four years to address the issue. It's a liberal created problem by and large. Um, but we've seen that there are basically human traffickers in New York state helping people come into Canada. I, I'm, I've heard absolutely nothing about Canadian officials trying to track down and crack down on human traffickers in the United States, helping people break laws to get into our country. Nothing tangible is being done, and I don't see it happening in the reasonable near future as long as there are liberals in charge. And frankly, I don't see much happening when conservatives could ever be in charge because they seem to think that this is a political hot potato that they aren't going to touch. Um, and really, the people this hurts the, the most, besides everyday Canadians, it's the Im actual legal immigrants who are trying to do things the right way, who see our country as a bastion of freedom. They're trying to come in the front door and they've got to wait in the same immigration queues as people who are just having the RCMP carry their luggage across the border at Roxham Road. You know, I, I think you're right, Sheila. We have to wrap here, but, um, you know, the the way the government is demonstrating its authority, it's kind of like on the lines of a wrestling referee, uh, you yeah. know, giving endless warnings to the bad guy, which are always ignored, and the, the referee saying, uh, if you yeah. ignore my eighth warning, I'm going to warn you a ninth time to behave. And I think the <laughs> yeah. long game, Sheila, is simply what you alluded to, that uh, the liberals here and the Democrats in the U.S., this is about mm -hmm. changing the demographics. And it's about, hey, remember who was easy on you and your, your, your father and your grandfather to allow you in illegally. All we ask is that every four years, you mark Democrat in the US, you mark liberal in Canada. That's all we want as payback. And this is kind of scary because, you know, if a country, Sheila, and I'm sure you agree with this, if you don't have sovereign borders, you really aren't a country at all. No, and, you know, uh, for people who want the welfare state, you can have one of two things. You can have a welfare state or you can have open borders, but you can't have both. And um, one day the liberals are going to be mugged um, by the reality of this, but unfortunately it's going to be Canadians who are paying the price. Yep, that's Canada in 2020 where the makers subsidize the takers.
as per usual. Sheila, uh, a great commentary, although depressing. So thank you so much for weighing in on it here on Rebel Roundup. Thanks, David. Have a great weekend. You too now. You keep it here, folks. More to come after this. Hey, how you doing there? This fellow. Who is this uh, fellow, sir, that's got a side in my face? Let me see. Stupid. This is my sister. This is she's killed in the plan. Islamic government killed in that plan. Oh, this is a victim from yes, the. Uh, yes, 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 yes. Air, airline 752. Yes, 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 yes. That is, is my sister. That's his two children. Is that that people? What do you make of this person throwing out there? Huh? Why you do like that? This guy isn't good. Uh, are you a member of Antifa? Sir, why, why don't why don't you take off your burqa so I can see who you are? Yeah. So, sir, who who is this person that's? What are you doing? What are you doing? Oh, I'm not talking to you. I'm interviewing this gentleman right now. So, sir, sir, who is this person? Folks like to separate because you're now pushing into each other. Thank you, officer. That is my sister. That's an Islamic government killed the is in this. Yeah, like that guy bothered me. That guy bothered me. So, sir, what 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 is it that uh, you're here uh, trying to say? I just come over there. I said, Jesus, you guys, if you want to do, do, don't do the bind size. Both both sides. Islamic government, same. Iran government is the same sh**. He 14 years he killed the people, he talked a lie, he shoot to the purpose to that people. He killed that ch two children and one my sister. Look at that. Oh, the police are pulling the boy. <laughs> so, sir, you don't support freedom of speech? Him up. Lock him up! Lock him up for what? Espousing an opinion? No! He says that to us all the time! So he can have a taste of his own medicine! Got it? You know, I don't think the word deplorable cuts it when describing the odious behavior of socialists, communists, Antifa thugs, and if you can believe it, members of public sector unions who put on a supposed peace rally outside the U.S. consulate in Toronto demanding that America stay out of Iran. How odd there was only one actual Iranian there, from what I could see, as part of that rally. Meanwhile, the counter-protest against these U.S. haters is where I found several members of the Persian-Canadian community, including that grieving man who lost his sister on Flight 752. But when I tried to interview him about his loss, the commies and the unionists and the Antifa trash actually shouted him down and chanted, lock him up. Like I said, deplorable isn't a harsh enough word to describe their actions. In any event, here's what some of you had to say. Serenity Now writes, imagine being at a protest defending a regime that is literally shooting their own citizens protesting in the streets on the same day. Yes, Serenity Now. How odd that the people who escaped from Iran want nothing to do with it but the homegrown uber-progressives championing communism think Iran is a fantastic place to live? Too bad these idiots don't just move there. Ray Fraser writes, I guess this is, this is some info that we will never see on the CBC. Yes, Ray, 
I didn't see the mainstream media covering this, and I had a feeling of deja vu from a couple of years ago when we were covering the hijab hoax protest by the Asian Canadian community. In both cases, a CBC news van was driving down University Avenue, slowed down to take a look, and then sped away. Apparently, covering either of those events just doesn't fit into the CBC narrative. Pseudo Petrus writes, I feel so bad for that man who lost his sister and the children. His grief is not ideological like those lefties. Oh, I agree. He was clearly in pain, and those lefties mocked him and shouted him down. Gee, whatever happened to that bogus leftist saying of love Trump's hate? Martin Denny writes, That guy that called you a fascist doesn't know what a fascist is. I'm a QP member, that makes, and it makes me sick that we have members who support terrorist attacks and other activities. Well, you, sir, are my kind of QP member. Sarah Cooper writes, Thank you for doing a thankless job. I appreciate seeing reality as it happens uncensored. Well, you are most welcome, Sarah. We just try to live up to our motto here at The Rebel, telling the other side of the story. And HXKXRX writes, In France, it is exactly the same situation, same attitude from the same kind of people. No knowledge, no arguments, no courage, just insulting good Iranian people. Well, sorry to hear that, HXKXRX. Let's hope that in this new decade, sanity returns to Western democracies and that regime change occurs in Iran. Well, that wraps up another edition of Rebel Roundup. Thanks so much for joining us. See you next week. And hey, folks, never forget, without risk, there can be no glory. Good night.